Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. A lot of news I want to talk about with you today, so buckle up and make sure you're subscribed because I'm going to be splitting $10,000 across 10 subscribed beautiful bastards this month, and let's just jump into it. You know, the first thing that we have to talk about today is Addison Ray, famed TikToker spitting in the face of every God-loving and or fearing Christian. For shame, Addison. At least if you, you hop on social media, that is in large the reaction we're seeing so far. If we go through the comments of her latest unrelated TikTok, just sad bro, praying for you, what were you thinking? We was all rooting for you, how dare you? The world isn't forever, girl, just remember that. What you did was beyond disrespectful. And say sorry. So the question is, of course, what did she do? Did she pants the Pope? Did she write an op-ed about how the Catholic Church spent over $3 million in Kansas to try to limit women's abortion rights? Nope, she pissed him off with a piece of cloth and some ink. Sharing a now-deleted photo of herself in this top says, Father, Son, the bottom say Holy Spirit, which, as a former Catholic, I'll have you know, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, though, bottoms with Son on it, that seems problematic. Though technically that's where you would make one. Hmm, we're getting sidetracked. The main thing is that Addison posted this and the wave of backlash was almost instant, with people calling it disrespectful and blasphemous. And while obviously a part of this story is about Addison Rae coming under fire, so far she hasn't commented on the situation, we also saw many pissed off about this taking aim at the company that made this, praying. And in addition to all the comments that you'd expect these people to leave, you had many calling for a boycott and for this company to shut down. But to that, here's something I want to make clear. They're not gonna. This isn't Walmart or Amazon coming under fire for an offensive shirt on their site. It's something that a third party put on their platform. Scrolling through the site and the socials for this company that I would not have been aware of had it not been for this backlash. Their whole MO seems to be, LOL, fuck you, I don't care. And in fact, in the midst of this whole outrage scandal, in the last 24 hours, they posted on their social this cute little top that says, I'll talk to God when I'm dead. And that's in addition to a lot of other stuff on their socials. And here's the thing, like the controversy and scandal of this whole situation, it could actually hurt Addison Rae. And I don't mean this in a negative way, but like when you are a big popular influencer and you're not really known for standing for anything, when bits and pieces like this slip out, people are gonna have a big reaction. Because for some reason, we often kind of project our own ideals onto the people that we are fans of. Or like how many times over the last four years have we been like, obviously that celebrity thing, they think what? So yeah, this could hurt Addison and it's gonna be interesting to see if she just doesn't address this or if she does, is there an apology or is she lean into it? That could be interesting. But as far as this company, you're just promoting them. This is basic controversy for cash, rageonomics. For every person that we get out of this situation that is angry at this brand, who they probably previously didn't know about or shop with, and they're calling for it to be shut down, they're bringing in new fans and customers for that brand. And we see this all the time, a product that someone is going to make money off of becoming this like lightning rod. Where for a select group of people, buying this thing is a statement that means something about them and the world. And understand, I say this as, well, one, someone that's not offended by the situation, but two, I'm not gonna judge you for being angry about this situation. I think that you should just know that your anger is being used against you. That's what's happening. But all of that said, with this story, I'd love to know your thoughts on any aspect of it, whether it be about the outrage or the marketing aspect. And then we should talk about the new mass shooting at the Lollapalooza Music Festival in Chicago that did not actually happen. And I don't mean that in the Alex Jones is a horrible piece of shit Sandy Hook kind of way. I mean, it actually did not happen. Right, so at the center of this story, you have an 18-year-old security guard for the event named Johnya Williams, who seemingly decided, hey, I'm gonna start a panic today and allegedly sent an anonymous text to her supervisor saying, mass shooting at 4 p.m. location, Lollapalooza, we have 100 150 targets. And so that person understandably goes, oh shit, 
alerts their supervisors in the Chicago Police Department, and then the FBI gets notified. And then when the event supervisor tells the team about the threat, allegedly is like, oh yeah, my sister saw something similar on Facebook. So the supervisor's like, oh, that could be helpful. Send me a screenshot of that post. With Janya later allegedly creating a fake account under the name Ben Scott and writing massive shooting at Lollapalooza Grant Park, 6 p.m. And then sending that bad boy over to her supervisor. But here's the problem, not the perfect crime, because the FBI traces the first text message back to her IP address in iCloud. And so with the authorities going, okay, well, here's our person. There just was a question of why? Why make a fake threat like this at the height of fear around gun violence in America? Well, uh, according to the prosecutors, she just wanted to get off work early, which I gotta say is mind-numbingly stupid for at least two reasons. First off, you gotta realize like this isn't like you getting off of work or out of school because of a snow day where no one questions it and everyone kind of just throws their hands up in the air and they're like, hey, you know, it is what it is. There was obviously gonna be some sort of investigation and unless you jumped through a lot of steps to make sure it couldn't be traced back to you, you were gonna get caught, which is exactly what happened here. She's been arrested and charged with making a false terrorism threat. But also, girl, secondly, how would you actually get off of work? You're not working the fucking concession stand. You are literally working security. If there is a believed security threat, you're probably gonna be involved to some degree. Which is why today, not only am I awarding you the douchebag of the day award, you are the dumbass motherfucker of the day. If you want out of work, just lie and say you have explosive diarrhea like a normal person. And then, let's talk about this messy, messy Jake Paul bullshit. And Jake Paul, if you don't know, YouTuber turned boxer, though some people wouldn't call him a boxer because all his professional boxing fights have been against non-boxers. But Recently, that was set to change. He was once again supposed to take on Tommy Fury, but their first bout having also gotten canceled with Tyron Woodley, of course, stepping in. And then this fight also didn't happen because Tommy Fury had to withdraw over travel issues. So the question became, okay, well, who is Jake gonna fight? Because he says he's still gonna fight on that date. Oh my God, no, is he gonna fight Tyron Woodley again? I'd rather slam my dick in a door than watch that card. But no, we quickly learned that Hasim Rahman Jr. stepped up, with a number of people kind of impressed that Jake Paul would actually take on this fight. With many saying that Hasim is an actually strong boxer, that he has the size to actually hurt Jake and so this was kind of a big risk for him. And so it was said it was actually supposed to happen two days from now, August 6th at Madison Square Garden. But then, seemingly out of nowhere, the event gets canceled, which of course led to a ton of speculation on why this event was called off on such short notice. And we saw for their part, Jake and his most valuable promotions company claiming that it stemmed from weight issues with Hasim, claiming that Hasim initially signed a contract for a fight at 200 pounds, but Paul, who usually fights at 190, compromised at 205, but then saying that Hasim's team tried to move the needle again to come in at 215 pounds, which was apparently too much for Jake, with most valuable promotions releasing a statement saying, we will not not reward someone that has conducted themselves in such a deceiving and calculated manner. Therefore, MVP is left with no choice but to cancel the August 6th event, with Jake also calling Hasim unprofessional and apologizing to everyone on the card, and posting a video accusing Hasim of being scared to fight him, saying, And from the jump, I knew in the bottom of my heart that this guy didn't want to get into the ring with me. It's as clear as day. But then on the other side of this, you had a Sim saying, you know, he was trying to lose weight, but his body just wouldn't let him do it so quickly. With him then accusing Jake of chickening out by canceling the fight instead of just delaying it to a later date to give him more time to shed the pounds. And adding that he would actually get in the ring with Jake Paul for just $5,000 minimum because he was so confident that he would just knock him out. It's, it's, it's clearly uh, 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 them not wanting to fight. It's not me pulling out the fight. It's them not wanting to fight. And so following this, we've seen a lot of different reactions. We've seen creators like Wade Concept speculating that there might be more to this weight issue and that it was actually a strategic attempt on the part of Hasim and his team. Their goal was to see how high Jake was going to allow him to weigh in at. And when Jake didn't budge, they didn't budge either. They figured out from the commission that this was going to be raised to 205 
they gambled to see how much more they could get in allowance. But then at the same time, you have others saying, no, this is all bullshit. This is all about money and not getting embarrassed because more and more people seem to believe that this event was going to be a flop. And I don't know a more embarrassing place to flop than Madison Square Garden, right? And you know, part of that story, there were tons of reports that ticket sales were low, that not even half the venue had been filled up leading to the cancellation. But even the likes of Joe Rogan recently talking about this, saying that he thinks that it was poor ticket sales, saying, yeah, maybe weight issues had to do with it a little, but the allegations that I'm hearing are that they sold so few tickets that it would be a real problem in terms of like financially to even break even. With Rogan going on to say that UFC president Dana White said they only sold a million dollars worth of tickets, but at a place like Madison Square Garden, it might cost half a million dollars to just turn the lights on. You have to sell a lot of fucking tickets if you want to make some money in Madison Square Garden. With them also going on to pretty much say no one fucking cared. Nobody wants to see that fight except Jay Paul's family and his friends. His fans. And with that saying, you know, he does think that Jake is definitely legit. This is something that he said before. But he just needs a better opponent. Though at the same time, you had Jake Paul's business partner saying that the cancellation had nothing to do with poor tickets, and he said that sales were actually good. Personally, I think it's a good policy to not take anything Jake Paul or his camp say at face value. And personally, I agree with a number of Joe Rogan's points, but I, I want to go a step even further. Yes, I think the event would do better if Jake Paul fought a bigger, more meaningful name, without a doubt. But to Rogan's point, Jake Paul is far better than I think any other YouTube boxer. But personally, I think the most popular events we're going to see in this space, if we're talking about influencer boxing is with a card full of influencers. Right? When I think about buying a pay-per-view for influencer boxing, the, the events that come to mind, it was the like the first KSI Logan Paul fight, even the second one there, Creator Clash recently, because part of the appeal of these events is the unknown. Is this creator going to be trash or are they going to completely shock us like Michael Reeves did? Is IDubs about to get the beating of a lifetime or is it going to be like a Rocky One-esque event? Which I think is part of the reason why I just, I don't imagine that I'll ever buy another Jake Paul pay-per-view. I just don't care about that one fight, I'll see whoever got knocked the fuck out on Twitter 20 seconds later. But with that said, I do want to pass the question off to you because everyone watching has different interests. Do you have a similar opinion about influencer boxing or do you have a completely different take or really any and all thoughts? I'd love to hear from you. And then, yo, cybersecurity is no joke. And I'd like to remind you that it's important to be protected at all times. And because of that, I want to take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, NordVPN, or more directly, nordvpn.com slash Phil. You know, there's a lot of good here, but I love that Nord's threat protection feature neutralizes cyber threats before they can do any real damage to your device. It makes my browsing safer, smoother, and helps identify malware-ridden files, stopping me from landing on malicious websites, and blocks trackers and intrusive ads on the spot. And get this, once you enable threat protection, it's constantly on the lookout, even when not connected to a VPN, which is a major bonus. Not to mention, one account actually lets you connect and secure up to six devices in any combination, so you can actually protect yourself and a loved one or two. So take advantage of this threat protection feature and get an exclusive deal only when you head on over to nordvpn.com to get a two-year plan at a huge discount, plus one additional month for free. So what are you waiting for? That's Nord nordvpn.com slash phil and it's all risk-free with nord's 30-day money-back guarantee and then let's talk about this news out of iceland that is people split and i think in part that's because of the mixed message that's going out right now because right now you have some officials saying oh my god how why are you still coming and others saying please please keep coming do with that audio as you please but as far as why they're saying this it's because since yesterday there's been major volcanic activity occurring in iceland and while it doesn't sound entirely out of the ordinary as it's one of the most volcanically active places in the world this time it's a bit different because it's very close to the capital in an area that until last year hadn't had volcanic activity for like 800 years. Now, the good news is that the eruption isn't like what happened back in 2010 when international travel got completely fucked because of a massive eruption in Iceland. And in fact, this isn't even really like a volcanic eruption like most people would imagine. Instead, what we're talking about here is what's known as a volcanic fissure, and it's really more like a slow release of magma near the surface, with them being so common that these are locally known as tourist volcanoes. And admittedly, uh, even though it's kind of stupid, I think it looks really cool and it's probably a once in a lifetime experience. And it appears I'm not alone with that because local officials have stated that since yesterday, thousands have shown up to check out the lava and the tourism 
ministry has already kicked into high gear, with the parent company of Iceland's largest airlines advertising the eruptions as peaceful and picturesque, with the company's CEO adding, there are not many things that can beat having an eruption in easy distance from your hotel and airport bar, so this is extremely positive. And saying, already since yesterday, all their numbers are up, and they believe this is exactly what the doctor prescribed, especially when going into the fall and winter season. And notably there, overall, tourism is a very big deal in Iceland, and accounts for 5% of its GDP. So you have people saying this could be a boon for the local economy after two years of very few tourists due to COVID. While you have some government agencies, such as the Foreign Ministry, making it seem like this is a safe thing to visit, tweeting risk to populated areas and critical infrastructure is considered very low, and there have been no disruptions to flights. You also, at the same time, have the Icelandic Meteorological Office, which monitors volcanic activity, not happy about everyone going to the site, even urging people to please, please stay away from the area. They're saying because at the end of the day, it is still a volcanic eruption, and earthquakes continue to happen in the region. With seismic activity notoriously hard to monitor, and it's unknown if one earthquake will then lead to other activity while tourists are there. And saying that's in addition to other issues such as air pollution caused by the magma, especially in the local area. But ultimately, that's the end of the story. And despite what they're saying, without there being some sort of ban, I really only expect tourism to now increase. I mean, hell, I saw a post this morning that looked like someone was roasting s'mores there. But yeah, with all that said, I guess my question for you is, would you go? Are you the kind of person that hears a story and you're like, I want to see it? Or are you like, no, that's the dumbest thing. And then let's talk about school. Do you want more or less of it? Because those of you in the education system right now are going to find this news either worrying or exciting. And that news is that school districts in several states are now moving toward a four-day school week. You've got the fall semester approaching this month, and you have at least Kansas, Missouri, and Texas reporting that some schools are announcing the new policy recently. But there is a caveat, because shortening the week usually means lengthening the four remaining days to compensate. Plus, sometimes only the teachers get the day off while students still have to come in five days a week. Which, to be clear, we're not going Lord of the Flies, right? That doesn't mean kids are left without supervision. It would mean that you would have fewer teachers there each day, with some taking Tuesday, some Wednesday, that kind of thing. And this, as it turns out, is not completely new. We're looking into it, it actually turns out that 660 schools in 24 states used a four-day week before the pandemic. And so now, as schools have reopened, many more are kind of open to this idea, seeing it as a way to retain and hire employees amid a worsening nationwide shortage of teachers that some say is reaching a crisis level. Because while we don't have national statistics on the situation right now, there are state and local reports of hundreds or even thousands of positions still needed to be filled for the 2022-2023 academic year. With Florida, for instance, still looking for about 9,000 teachers, even as most districts start school on Wednesday. You've also got Nevada reporting an estimated 3,000 job vacancies across 17 districts, as well as the Houston area's five largest school districts leaving between 200 and 1,000 teaching positions open. And the problem has gotten so urgent that one Wisconsin official says that superintendents across the country have started a whisper network to alert each other when educators move between states. With them explaining, we're at a point right now where if I have people who want to move to California, I call up and give a reference very quick. And if someone is coming from another place, say Minnesota, I have superintendent colleagues in Minnesota, they call and say, hey, I have teachers coming your way. But also with this, schools are doing more to attract teachers than just offering a four-day work week. With are seeing things like increasing pay where, for example, you have Nevada now bumping its starting salary up by $7,000 plus a $4,000 relocation bonus for teachers outside the state or 100 miles away, which, hey, could help, but also certainly will not be enough, which is why many schools are also trying to fill the remaining gap with a patchwork of measures, including deploying employees with no teaching experience as teachers, lowering the bar for new hires, or increasing class sizes, all of which could reduce the quality of education for students. We've also seen some places taking a more unorthodox approach, with Arizona, for example, recently passing a law allowing college students to take teaching jobs, as well as Florida doing a very Florida thing, making it legal for military veterans who serve for at least four years to teach K-12, with them reportedly not needing bachelor degrees, but they do require at least 60 college credits and a grade point average of at least 2.5. Which I will say, it does not give me the most confidence as someone who dropped out of college with a better GPA. But go on, Florida and Arizona, do your thing. But also, as far as why all this is happening, right, you have many people pointing to that term teacher shortage and saying, that's kind of misleading. Because it's not like they disappeared or Elon put them on secret rockets to Mars. They are there. They just don't want to work. And they have no shortage of legitimate reasons. Pandemic-induced stress, burnout, exhaustion. You can never understate the importance 
importance of low pay, as well as the simple factor of politics. Right, more and more over the past few years, we've seen like the biggest culture wars happening around schools and school meetings. So naturally, you have a lot of educators feeling attacked and disrespected by politicians, parents, school boards, the culture in general. We've also talked before about the problem of the culture within the schools getting worse with students' behavioral issues and mental health worsening after COVID. And so now I think the question is, well, how do we get out of this cycle, right? Because we have this kind of feedback loop where you have teachers quitting because school sucks so much and then the schools suck even more and so more teachers quit and so on and so forth. And so with me really only having this news that we're talking about today and my own personal experience to draw from, I do want to pass the question off to you, whether you're an educator, you're a student, you have a family in school. What's happening right now? What are the experiences? Let me know everything. And then in absolutely massive breaking news today, we had Attorney General Merrick Garland announcing in a press conference that the DOJ has filed federal charges against the four former and current police officers involved in the fatal shooting of Breonna Taylor. With those charges including civil rights offenses, unlawful conspiracies, and constitutional use of force, and obstruction offenses. And it's been a minute, so just a quick refresher. Breonna was killed in what has largely been described as a botched police raid, with officers serving a no-knock warrant involving a narcotics investigation into her ex-boyfriend who police claimed was receiving packages at her address. Though, very important here, there has been no evidence that Brianna was in any way involved in the drug trafficking case. And in the press briefing today, Garland said that former Louisville Metro Police Department officer Joshua Janes, along with current officer Kelly Goodlett and Sergeant Kyle Meany, falsified the affidavit used to obtain the search warrant for Brianna's home. And Garland arguing that those actions violated federal civil rights laws and that those violations resulted in Ms. Taylor's death. Specifically, we allege that Ms. Taylor's Fourth Amendment rights were violated when defendants Joshua Janes, Kyle Meany, and Kelly Goodlett sought a warrant to search Ms. Taylor's home knowing that the officers lacked probable cause for the search. We allege that the defendants knew the affidavit in support of that warrant contained false and misleading information and that it omitted material information. Among other things, the affidavit falsely claimed that officers had verified that the target of the alleged drug trafficking operation had received packages at Ms. Taylor's address. In fact, defendants Janes and Goodlett knew that was not true. Garland also went on to state that James and Meany knew the warrant would be carried out by armed officers, which could create a dangerous situation and adding. The charges announced today also alleged that the officers responsible for falsifying the affidavit that led to the search took steps to cover up their unlawful conduct after Ms. Taylor was killed. We allege that defendants James and Goodlett conspired to knowingly falsify an investigative document that was created after Ms. Taylor's death. We also allege that they conspired to mislead federal, state, and local authorities who were investigating the incident. And so that's why with this, Janes and media have been charged with federal and civil rights offenses, including one count of willfully depriving Taylor of her constitutional rights by drafting and approving a false affidavit, with Meany being hit with an additional charge of making a false statement to federal investigators. And Janes facing two additional charges of falsifying a report and conspiring to cover up the false warrant along with Goodlett, who was also charged with conspiracy. And in addition to those three officers who were part of the place-based investigations unit, Garland also announced charges stemming from a separate indictment focused on former LMPD officer Brett Hankison, with that indictment alleging that after Brianna was shot, Hankison blindly fired into her apartment through a window and glass door that were covered with blinds and curtains. Which is going to be interesting to play out because Hankison, of course, had previously been charged with three counts of wanton endangerment at the state level, but he was acquitted for firing those shots this year in a widely condemned decision. And notably here, the federal charges against him are separate from that, with Garland saying, Defendant Hankison has been charged with two civil rights offenses, alleging that he willfully used unconstitutionally excessive force while acting in his official capacity 
as an officer. With one of the charges alleging that he deprived Brianna and her boyfriend at the time of their constitutional rights when he fired into the apartment. And the other alleges that he deprived three of her neighbors of their constitutional right when the bullets he blindly fired traveled into their unit. And a standout thing here, you had the DOJ saying in a statement that all of the civil rights charges involve alleged violations at a specific statute that carries a statutory maximum sentence of life imprisonment where the violation results in death or involves an attempt to kill. And beyond that, the obstruction counts charged in the indictments carry a statutory maximum sentence of 20 years. And the conspiracy counts carry a statutory maximum sentence of five years, as does the false statements charge. But as far as what happens if we see these people convicted and then what sentences are given, we're going to have to wait to see. And in the meantime, of course, I pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts here? But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. Thank you for watching, being a part of the conversation, and subscribing to these daily dives into the news, which if you're looking for more, I got you covered right here, and I'll be uploading shorts this weekend. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you next time.